There was a man who fell into a pit and he couldn't get himself out. 19 people ended up walking by the pit. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in the pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into the pit. A mathematician calculated how he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story of his pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. Confucius said, if you would have listened to me, you would not be in that pit. Buddha walked by and said, your pit is only a state of mind. A realist said, that's a pit. A scientist calculated the pressure necessary, pounds per square inch, to get him out of the pit. A geologist told him to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. The county inspector walked by and asked if he had a permit to dig a pit. The county tax assessor came along and figured the taxes he owed on the pit. A professor gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit. A health and wealth preacher said, just confess that you're not in a pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. And then Jesus came by. Jesus seeing the man, he took him by the hand and he lift him out of the pit. Today we're going to be talking about a young man who didn't fall into a pit. He was shoved, pushed into a pit by his own brothers. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful for your word and that it's powerful and that it changes people. It changes our behavior. It changes uh, our, our emotions. It changes our eternity. We're thankful for your love and, and compassion that you show to us uh, in, in times of trouble, in times of need, in times of joy. May you be glorified. Uh, may you teach us all today. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to go through the outline as we work our way through the scripture, which is found in Genesis 37, uh, verses 12 through 36. Joseph, is, he's going to find himself in several situations uh, during these a dozen, a uh, couple dozen verses. First, we see that Joseph found himself being sent out by his father. Joseph was being sent out by his father. So we'll start in our scripture, verses 30, or ch chapter 37, verses 12 through 14a. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, remember Jacob's name is Israel. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Joseph said to his father, here I am. So he said to him, so Jacob said to his son, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. Well, right away we see that Joseph is demonstrating obedience. He's demonstrating an obedience to his father, which is pretty awesome to see. Jacob, 
Joseph's dad, called him over and said, hey, I need you to go check out your brothers. I need you to go see what, see what they're up to. I know that you have some homework to finish. I, I know that you have a big soccer game tomorrow night, and, and I know that you have that date planned for Saturday night. I know, but this is what I need you to do. The new, uh, the NIV says that Joseph's response was, very well. Or the NLT, the New Living Translation said, I'm ready to go. What a great response. What a great response by a young man, a 17-year-old, for his dad's request. You know, many of you, most of you have kids. And to have your kid come up to you and you say, hey, go clean your room that you and your friends were up there messing around, you took up all the food upstairs, clean it up, and you would have thought that you just asked for them to run a marathon. You know, Jacob wasn't asking Joseph to run a marathon, because a marathon's only 26.2 miles. He was asking him to go from here to Janesville, Wisconsin about 60 to 75 miles he was asking him to go. And Joseph's response was, okay, here I am. That's just amazing. It's no small task that he was putting forth. And there's no doubt with this impending journey that, that Joseph had to demonstrate some organization within his preparation. He had to be highly organized in order to uh, move, uh, prepare for this long journey. If, if I were to walk to Janesville, or if I were to walk to the heart of Chicago right here, both of them about the s same distance, I would have to do all kinds of planning, think about what I'm going to take, what, what, what I'm going to pack, because it's going to be a, a, a few nights for me to get there. And I think of this young man who's navigating through the uh, desert area and, and worried about ravenous animals that, that could eat them. What about getting water, what to take, how to prepare, how to, how to even know exactly where Shechem was located. It's just amazing to think that this 17-year-old was that organized. He didn't have his mama packing his bag for him. He didn't have his mama going to get him an extra water bottle halfway through the trip or packing him real nice PB&Js with, with coolers to keep everything nice and cold. We, we have trouble sometimes remembering books to bring to school or, or things, uh, bringing your uniform for the game. You need someone to run it to you. And he had to remember everything, not only for the journey to Shechem, but the journey back from Shechem, he was anticipating. Finally, we see when Joseph was being sent out by his father that he demonstrated an ability to overcome obstacles in finding his brothers. So we're going to pick up the story where we left off, verse 14. So he went, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. I, I got to pause here for a second because 
I, I got to thinking as I was studying this, I'm like, man, I, I just know the name Shechem from something else. We talked about it the other day, last Sunday, about uh, where, uh, where the murders happened. If you guys remember, the brothers got pretty upset and they, they killed uh, Shechem. And, 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 but I also thought, there's something else here. And then it hit me. You see, one week before my father died, we went and, and, and visited my grandfather at uh, the, the gravesite for my grandfather and my grandmother. They had just got the headstone a little before that, and we had a little, kind of we'll call it a memorial service. And as I look back at that picture that we took that day, I took a quick picture with my with my phone, my dad was sitting on the exact spot where he'd be buried less than a week later. Well, Joseph, if we go to Joshua 24, 32, Joshua 24, 32, it says, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. Joseph, a free man, walking about in Shechem. In the future, that's where he'd be buried. Just an interesting point of history and geography, but we'll get back to Genesis 37 now. Verse 15 Genesis 37, 15. And a man found him wandering in the fields. So he's in Shechem. He, he's just moving about in the fields. And, and the man asked him, what are you seeking? And then Joseph responded, I'm seeking my brothers. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. I'm not sure who this man was. We don't, we don't get that insight. And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Very interesting. This, this wasn't, this commentary by this random guy that we don't know, wasn't like you were at Casey's, and, and then someone said, you know what, I think they're at the BP. That's not, that's not the amount of walk. This is a 13-mile to 20-mile walk. I mean, this is a, a crazy amount of distance to just say, oh, I, I overheard them saying, so go there. I don't think uh, after I've done this 50 to 75 mile journey that I'm going to go venture out another 13 miles to go see if, if they're there. You know, and I, and I thought... Joseph gave his word to his dad. And his word was his bond. And I wonder, would we do that? Would we be willing to go the extra mile? Would we be willing to, to, to just take that extra trip because we were being obedient to our father? Because we were being obedient uh, to the person that was put in charge of us. This would have been an awesome time 
a very opportune time for Joseph to say, you know what? I'm a little nervous about my brothers anyway. I can't find them officially. I'd be telling my dad the truth. I'm going to head back, tell him I couldn't find them. I don't know where they were. So if I was Joseph, that's what I would have said. I'm not going to walk to Dothan. They could be anywhere. But it's just amazing. It's amazing to see how the story unfolds and how, how God's uh, perfection has guided this whole story. Because his brothers, being led by the, by the sheep, in a sense, where they're grazing, they didn't go straight east. They didn't go straight west. They didn't go back south. They went northwest to Dothan, which is going to put them in perfect line with, with some traders that eventually. It's just amazing how, how God works so perfectly, especially when we could see the end of the story. Because if they hadn't gone to Dothan and they went somewhere else, this story could have unfolded in a completely different way. So we've come to the point in the story where, where now Joseph is going to be put into a sad situation. Verse 18 through 23. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see that what will become of his dreams. See, that's what it was all about. They couldn't stand him, and they wanted to say, hey, you know what? <laughs> There's no chance in the world we're ever bound to him. We're going to kill him. But when Reuben, remember Reuben's the oldest, when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of, out of their hands, saying, let us not take his blood. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit, here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And then Moses gives us this insight that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. Well, first we see the little brother has found himself in trouble because of his coat. Obviously, the coat wasn't a, a bad luck charm. It wasn't, uh, wasn't anything like that, but it represented an extreme sore spot in the minds of his brothers. It reminded them that Joseph, their little brother, number 11, was going to be the heir of the great wealth. It, it reminded them uh, of who they were in place in their entire family and who he was representing. Coat probably reminded them of the dreams. And obviously the coat was recognizable from a great distance, from a much greater distance than if he was just wearing any random uh, outfit. They may not have recognized immediately that it was Joseph, but it gave him time to conspire. It gave him time to, to think about it and to get angry. And I thought to myself, why in the world is Joseph even wearing this? I don't know the, the time of the year or the temperature, but 
Was, it, was he cold? Did, did it help keep the sun off just right? Did he think he was cool? Like the Fonz? Always had to wear it? Why was he wearing it? Didn't he realize that this was annoying to his brothers? Was he wearing it because of authority? Like he's like, hey, I'm the one in authority. I'm the one with the coat. You're going to listen to me. So maybe he thought that's what it was. I don't know. One thing I do know, though, is that, is that the coat was the straw that broke the camel's back. This was the thing that put them over the edge. No one was around, just the brothers. No one could see them. Just the brothers. So they were going to deal with the situation. Verse 24. And they took him, and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So the little brother was thrown into a pit because of the calloused hearts of his ten older brothers. As we read a, a, a few minutes ago, they stripped him first of his coat. And I'm guessing that this was a fight. Can't you imagine that? <clears throat> I remember on, on, on a playground one time, I was a first grader, me and Jamie Vanna, and, and we were picking on a sixth grader, Jimmy Kling. I have no idea. But a whole group of, of kids circled around us and were cheering, doing cheers, kind of keeping away uh, uh, Mrs. Punk from seeing, seeing what was happening. And, and there we were with, with Jimmy Kling ripping his coat off of him. I think I, I grabbed his book bag and put it in a, in a mud puddle. I, I don't even know what I was doing. To this day, I get to talk to my first grade teacher, Mrs. Underhill, about that situation. She wrote a pretty lengthy note to my parents. It's the way they did it back then. But when we ripped off that coat on Jimmy Kling, I think it was, it was purple or blue. That's my color blindness coming in. That, there was a struggle. There was a struggle that Jimmy was, what was having as we were trying to rip that coat off. And I could imagine 10 brothers. Let's just say it was three or four of them ripping the coat off at that time. I mean, I bet they were out for blood. They didn't care. They were already talking about murdering them. So they, they're grabbing that and just ripping, and, and maybe it's, it's being shred a little bit as they're pulling it. I don't know what the, the material exactly was, but he had to probably get a little bit injured uh, during that time. And then they take him, and, and I'm sure he's still fighting back, just like he was with the coat, as he sees the pit coming up, as they're walking him into the pit. And, and he's probably trying to fight back, and... and, and and then they chuck him in that pit. They just throw him in there. I mean, he had to hit his head. He had to, had to do something. That, that couldn't have been a pleasant drop. They, I'm sure they weren't lowering him in gently. They had hardened their hearts, these brothers had. 
and they threw Joseph in a pit. And I'm guessing many of you, like me, have been in a pit before. Maybe not one that was muddy on the ground from the water that was in it before. But we've been in a pit of despair where you find yourself not caring anymore. You don't have the desire to pray. You don't have the desire to read scripture, to go to church. Frankly, you don't have the desire to go on. That's what we hear a lot of times when bullies, from the kids who have been dealing with a bully, they just don't want to go on. They're in a pit. They're in such a, a time of despair. You know, some of us get so used to living in a pit that we don't even realize we're still in the pit. We've made our, made our home there. I think of Joseph sitting in that pit, scared, no doubt crying, not knowing what was going to happen to him. Was he going to be there forever until he, he starved to death or, or, or uh, died of thirst? Were his brothers... What, was he thinking maybe this is a joke? Was he hurting from when the stuff was pulled off of him or when he was thrown into the pit? Maybe he's calling out to his brother Reuben directly. Help me. Help me, Reuben. You guys are going to be in big trouble if you don't help me. That's what Reggie would do if Jacob was going to hurt him. Dad! Who are you crying out to? Are you crying out to alcohol? To drugs? To sex? To shopping? Are you retreating to your bedroom and closing the door and not coming out? Are you yelling at people around you in this pit? You're shutting out everyone. Perhaps you turn to food. And you take down a box of Twinkies when you're feeling in the pit. And I want to remind you, and I'm reminding myself this as well, that the exact same God Jehovah that was sitting with Joseph in that pit is sitting with us. And that's amazing to think about. He is with you. And he wants you to call out his name. He wants you to, to call out for comfort from him. When, when sometimes life, things go from bad to worse. But it doesn't change the fact that God promises to go with his chosen people wherever. If it's in a pit, if it's on the back of a camel, if it's in Egypt, if it's in prison, wherever it is, God promises to be there. So now we see how Joseph is sold into slavery. How he's sold into slavery. So up to this point, we have got quite a picture of, of the brothers, of Joseph's older brothers. 
They were, they were between the ages of 20 and 40 years old, most likely. And, and we know that Joseph was only 17, and, and I can't imagine what these guys uh, would do to abuse a teenager like this. They truly just abused him. And like I pointed out a minute ago, sometimes that happens, you get riled up when a group of people come together and they start talking bad about somebody. You actually start getting ideas that, that weren't your normal ideas. You start feeding off one another, especially guys, but, but women could do the same thing. I read, a story, I read story after story online of how people would get in groups and just start bullying people and how that would, that would just feed off of each other. People can be extremely cruel. Well, the next scene is definitely a sign that the brothers were only thinking of themselves. That's their only thought, it's, it appears, through the story. Verse 25a reads, it's very simple, very short. Then they sat down to eat. The brothers actually ate lunch with one another. Their brother is, is screaming out, calling their name, trying to crawl out of this pit. And they're enjoying their food. I mentioned it earlier, but this is a big point to understand the callousness of the brothers' hearts. It really is. We got a glimpse into the conversation, the conspiracy, as Joseph was walking up. This wasn't a prank, it was real. And I, I got to thinking at this moment, it was almost like when Jesus was on the cross. Do you guys remember that picture? Jesus is on the cross. Many commentators would say that he was unrecognizable. He was beat so bad. I can't imagine the gore and the horror of looking at a person like that and then pounding nails into his wrists and, and, and feet. And, and then what are the soldiers doing below him? They're gambling for his clothes. Almost like this is just another day of work. Very similar to what's happening with the brothers right here. Just another day. Oh, he's in the pit. He's going to die. Listen to this. We get a glimpse of what actually happened at this scene. And I was thinking, man, how, how do we know? And, and then it hit me. At the, towards the end of the story, in Genesis 42, Genesis 42, 21, it tells us actually what was happening at the pit. Genesis 42, 21 says, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. Can't you see it? Can't you see him fighting back as, he, as they're going to throw him in the pit? Then he's in the pit and he's just begging them, calling them out, and they're sitting up there laughing, enjoying their food. Makes me sick to think about. You think about your own sibling throwing them in a pit and just laughing about it, or a family member. 
continuing on back to verse 25 and looking up they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt then Judah said to his brothers what profit is it is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother our own flesh and his brothers listened to him then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver they took Joseph to Egypt so instead of letting little little bro little Joe die of thirst or starve to death Judah gets this great idea ah I know what we're gonna do we're gonna sell him to traders passing by can you imagine the thought of auctioning away your little brother okay some of you can but in truth of selling your own siblings as a slave. We have so much to cover here. First of all, Judah appears to be the nice guy, sparing his brother from death and selling him into slavery. But what he did was, was outright ridiculous, was horrible. Later on, the Mosaic Law is going to say that it was deserving of death to sell your brother to, as a slave. He was selling him into slavery. Think of that. In today's time, right now, there are estimated between 21 and 36 million slaves in the world. 77%, strike that, 78% is estimated to be in the labor industry of slavery. 22% in the sex slavery industry. 26% of the slaves, of those 21 to 36 million, are 18 years and younger. Right here in the United States, it's estimated that 60,000 slaves are amongst us. This, this is a real, real, real huge situation that all of us, that all of us need to be on our knees right now praying about. This is big. This is exactly what happened. This is an issue that, that we need to be of concern of for our own children that at any point they could be taken and put into slavery in different ways. Judah's idea to sell his brother was evil. And the sale ended up being for 20 shekels. 20 shekels, the price of a slave, the true price of a slave. Obviously the boys, they didn't need the money they weren't doing it for a major financial gain 20 shekels wasn't a, a, a sum that was going to make them independently wealthy 
but it's very sim similar to Judas in the New Testament. Sure, uh, Judas, remember, sold Jesus, his knowledge of where Jesus was for 30 pieces of silver, and Judas didn't even keep it. Remember, he chucked it after he was convicted? I read about Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel tells us of another Joseph who goes down to Egypt to preserve the life of the Chosen One. He's preserving the life of Jesus, who is the descendant of Judah. We talked about that last week. And obviously Jesus is the Savior of Israel and the whole world. But the suggestion of Judah to sell Joseph into slavery shows us the choice of Judah to be the ancestor. So God had chosen Judah to be the line. And yet Judah is the one who sells Joseph into slavery. It, it, it shows us that God can use anyone. God can use anyone. Judah was a wretched man. The choice of Judah was, was dependent purely on the sovereignty of God alone. God's grace is always shown not to worthy people. This is a super awesome thing for us. Because I'm not worthy of, of the love that Jesus Christ has shown me. Amen? We're not worthy of it. But that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. That he loves us, even though that we, were, we are sinners. He gave his life for us. God is going to use whoever he chooses for his own glory. And this is the way of grace. Genesis 37, back to Genesis 37, verses 29 and 30. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit... He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone. And I, where shall I go? I don't know where Reuben was. He had to step away for, for a minute. But we see here that Reuben was scared for his own future. That he was, he was frightened. Remember, he was in a bad situation with, with dad already because he had, he had slept with his dad's concubine. So he was already in, in a bad situation. Now, if he comes back and, and Joseph is, is taken into slavery, which is basically Joseph is dead, he's done for. Reuben's going to be kicked out of, of his father's land. Him and his, and his own family will never receive anything from daddy. And he's worried. So he assembled his brother's together and he, he wanted to create a story to tell dad and we do that we cover up our sins time and again but we, we, we think we, we, we when we sin we cover it up with more sins of lying uh, of telling falsehoods We have all kinds of excuses that we come up with instead of just telling the truth. And it's hard sometimes to tell the truth because we know we're probably going to get in trouble. We're going to have to deal with that. 
but usually in the end it's it's much better and i thought instead of reuben worrying about telling his father why wouldn't reuben have just sprinted after the traitors ran after the traitors and and, and said i want to buy him back my brothers were, were were just messing around i'll give you three times the amount I'll give you 60 shekels for that man. The traders probably would have been fine. They didn't have to carry him all the way down into Africa, into Egypt. They would have tripled their money in no time. And Reuben would have, would have had his brothers back, and he could have talked sense into, into his other brothers. But he just let it happen. And decided to deceive his father. Verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe, and they slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. So instead of thinking of Joseph, they thought about themselves, and, and they added blood to the coat of many colors. You see, this wasn't 2016. There wasn't an organization like CSI around, and, and they weren't going to be able to do DNA testing. They knew, they, they knew that, that this was going to be a great trick uh, by putting blood on, on the one thing, on the one thing that they knew that their dad no doubt could identify his favorite son. Reuben and his brothers truly came up with a genius, yet evil plot to deceive their father. And really, anyone else who was looking on, I don't, we don't know if they, if they told uh, their sister or if they told other people what happened. What they didn't realize, that while the blood, while the robe of many colors was being delivered to their dad, Joseph was also being delivered safely in the hands of the Egyptians. So we're going to pick it up, ending over his scripture for the day, starting with verse 32. And they sent the robe of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So I don't, I don't know if the, if the boys ever even spoke to their father or if they sent word ahead and sent the coat ahead of them. But I do know that, that they asked this, is this your son's robe, or is it not? They didn't even say Joseph's robe. They said, is this your son's robe? Who else had a robe like this? No one. This was a custom-made robe by Jacob himself. Everyone knew that that was his robe. Remember, he wore it all the time, it sounds like. 
And they're just baiting Jacob. And Jacob took it. He took the bait, and, and he was torn to pieces because he believed his son was torn to pieces. And he was blaming himself. You see, he, he was the one who sent him out. He was the one who said, go, go check on your brothers. So he was, he was blaming himself. He knew he could get hurt. In fact, Jacob would go through this pain for 20 plus years of blaming himself every day. Why did I send him out there? Why did I send him to get eaten by animals? But how ironic is this scene? You know, this didn't hit me until yesterday, actually. The irony of this scene. Jacob, the deceiver. Remember, he also killed and prepared a goat and told Isaac, his father, that the goat was from the game that he hunted. The same trickery now is done to him. The same trick. The deceiver is himself deceived. His son's deceptions and lies, they convict him. His father Isaac, remember, he was questioning, well, that, yeah, that, that sounds like Jacob. And how'd you get the food so fast? But he couldn't see too well, and he, and he, he felt the, the, the hair from the goat that his mother had put on his hands and on his neck, and, and he needed to feel, and, and he smelled like his brother Esau because he was wearing Esau's clothes. And now Jacob, Jacob has no doubts. He already knows He's deceived, and he blames himself. Then scripture says, meanwhile, just like Hollywood would, would steal. Hollywood has, has stolen many great thoughts from God's narrative in scripture. Verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him to, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The son was bought by Potiphar. One small verse in this chapter within Genesis. But it's so meaningful. You see, God had worked through the sins of the brothers, through the greed of the traitors, and through the perceived, through the perception of need by the house of Potiphar. He had worked through all of those ways. And Joseph, he was kept alive. He was kept alive and he was put into a place where eventually, as we'll see, where it could be in a place where God can use them in mighty ways. And if we're watching this story from afar, and we're looking at it from, from 30,000 feet, we'd just say, wow, wow. All of those things just were, were by chance. That, 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 they, that they not only went to Shechem, but then they went to Dothan, and, and, and that somehow the traders were heading south to, to Egypt as opposed to north. And wow, that's just amazing. And, and then they sold them before they were going to kill them. And then that's the time when the, those guys went there. It could have been any day, but those guys kept going. And, and Reuben, for some reason, didn't tell his brothers no. And all, all of this is God. God's in control. Sometimes, 
Maybe jo Joseph would join us in this camp. Life situations, they cause us to panic. We, we start panicking, and we don't, we don't know the rest of the story. We can't see the silver lining at the end. We don't understand why we lost a job, why we got in trouble, why that person died, why whatever it is, fill in the blank. But the question is, are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to trust God during this time of trouble? Are you willing to know, to absolutely know, to, to believe, and to submit to the fact that God, that God's ways are better than your ways? Think about your life. There is no way that your life would be living out the way it is if you were in control. We would not have gone through the things that we have as a husband and wife if we were making the decisions. But God is mighty. God promises throughout Scripture that he cares for you. He, he promises that he will comfort you. Even when you're in a pit, you're riding on the back of the camel, God is committed to saving you. He's committed it. He's so committed that he sent his, his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer, to, to be put through shame, to, to weep, to bleed, to die, to be raised again. So you and I can spend our eternity with him. Maybe, maybe somebody here really hasn't committed their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't, haven't fully laid out and, and said, it is all yours, God. It is not mine. I want to challenge you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. I want to challenge you to bow your knee and, and to know that it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it's because of the resurrection of him that we could be saved. Jesus has a perfect plan for your life, and that's to spend eternity with him. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful to serve you. I beg each day that we learn how to love you more. I'm so thankful that somehow you love us uh, uh, to the extreme, to the max. But we get to learn how to love you more every day. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the story of Joseph and, and how we ha have seen already how your protective hand comes upon people, even in times of trouble, even in times of pain. Joseph had no idea at this moment what you had planned for him. But Lord, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the reminder that, that we don't know what you have planned for us. We don't know what you have planned for our 
our ancestors. But may we continue to bow to you. May we continue uh, to beg that you can use us in mighty ways to affect your kingdom. Right here in, in Shabana, in Waterman, in Lee, in our surrounding areas, use us, please, God, in mighty ways to change lives for you. And may you have all the glory in the end. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.